And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Myself. For that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. Welcome to Commentary Monthly Monday, and it never had. We're not putting numbers on it, so it's just the next Commentary Monthly Monday. I am Chris Honeywell, and I am here with Scott Gardner. And I've got a mouthful of combos at the moment. Thank you very much for bringing it in while I had a mouthful of food. Appreciate that. Hey, hey, hey you're the one who's like, hey, are you going to bring this in? And I'm eating right now. What the hell is it? I'll give you the official name for it off the packaging. It is a chocolate eclair premium ice cream bar by Hershey's. It is, Mm. you know, it's one of those things with the chocolate center and surrounded by white ice cream and then like those crummy, crumbly chocolate yumminess. I have the limited edition combos. They are buffalo wing flavor and they are awesome. And if you live in an area that doesn't have the buffalo wing flavored combos, (laughs) you suck. Move. <laughs> that was an old that, that reminds me of an old radio ad for the movie Jabberwocky. If Jabberwocky doesn't play at a theater near you, move. <laughs> <laughs> it's always stuck with me all my life. <laughs> but enough about Jabberwocky. Tonight's movie is as per listener request, Jaws. Awesome. As you know since we announced it last time. Yeah, but I forget. Yeah, I know. You got about a, what, what is it, about 10-minute memory minute, span before it dumps out one minute, of your ears? Minute and a half. Uh-huh. But, yeah, all, another all-time classic, another yum-yum-yum, <laughs> another Spielberg movie. Another favorite. Mm. 
I love this movie. I really do. Um, and, and I'm not sure exactly why, because as we'll get into once we uh, start the show, um, uh, traumatized for the rest of my life <laughs> by this movie, thanks to my loving parents. So, uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, just a fantastic, fantastic, you know, you several times during the Raiders uh, commentary use the expression perfect movie. I would apply that to this. I really would. I mean, if there's anything, if there's any problems I have with this, I'll, I'll, I'll point them out during the recording. But uh, off the top of my head, can't think of a single they're one. Pretty, they're pretty piddly if they are. Yeah, I, mean, I, I really can't think of any because this is this is literally a movie that I cannot walk by. If I'm flipping channels or it, you know I'm walking through a mall somewhere and it's playing something like that, I, I will end up watching it. No matter what point of the movie it's at, I'll end up getting sucked in. As a matter of fact, over dinner tonight, I was watching this and it was so hard to walk away from it to come to the the microphone to record tonight because once I start, I just don't want to stop. I, it's just, this movie is really, really great. And, uh, and I'm hoping that, uh, that, uh, you know, we can bring the, uh, bring the love in this comedy. I'm hoping that I have the words to, uh, to adequately express, you know why i feel that way because it, it it really is just a just a fantastic movie you're starting to sound like a lionel richie love song or something. <laughs> yeah thanks <laughs> hello is it me you're chewing on <laughs> have i told jaws lately that I li- is that even lionel richie i don't even know who that no, is that- I From don't Stevie know. Wonder. Well, Steve, Stevie Wonder, Lionel Richie, all the same person. Anyway, start the show. <laughs> well, I, I know that um <laughs> I know that Stevie Wonder can't tell the difference. <laughs> oh. Harsh. But I'm bummed. Yes. Oh, send all mail I was just to gonna say Chris Honeywell. Please send your hate mail to Chris Honeywell. Yes. I don't yeah, need send me any all your more. send me all your hate mail in Braille. My inbox of hate mail <laughs> is full, so please let him I, have some for a chance. I haven't gotten any Braille hate mail yet, so I'll add it to the collection. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we are about to start Jaws from nineteen seventy five. We've got our um our our DVDs or whatever our Jaws files at zero zero, and it's a black screen that fades into a beautiful star field, and um, at the count of three, at the count of three, and then I'll say go and uh, hit start, and we will begin Jaws. Three, two, one, go. There it goes, oh, yeah. fading in. Yep, we are we are in sync. Universal, but not the band. <laughs> oh my All god! Right. Sorry, I gotta blow my nose. It's Randy here. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> All right. <gasps> so you went last time on your origin story. So you're gonna go. And first? I'm gonna go first because right. I actually saw this when it came out in a theater. Yeah, I was the tender age, all of seven years old. And my parents took me to the Black River Drive-In, and we went to see Jaws. And to this very day, I have to wonder, what the hell were they thinking? Your mom was always the one who was, like, sen- the censorer, too, or, was like, keep them away from R-rated movies or stuff. Maybe it was just, like, couldn't find a babysitter type of thing. I'm thinking 
that I, I'm trying to remember the timeline here, and I'm thinking this may have been during the time when they were getting back together, I think. Because we had moved back to New York in early 75. Because my, my parents split up. Excuse me, just a moment. I just realized mine is way too loud. So I'm going to turn down my... You can't, I just can't hear this, but my volume in my headphones is really loud. Say something, Chris. I... Okay, that's perfect. All right. <laughs> um, so anyway, my par- we were living in Florida. And my parents split up. And we moved back in early 75. Well, I know that I went to the, the to the drive-in with both of my folks to see this in the summer of 75. Maybe the summer of 76, come to think of it, but I'm pretty sure it was the very summer that it was out. Almost positive about that. And I know it was both of my folks, so this must have been when they were trying to work things out and get back together. Anyway, Rekindle we went to the... Rekindle the, the yeah, flame. exactly. So we went to the Black River drive-in. And saw this. And as I say, I was seven years old. I don't know if they thought I was just going to fall asleep or I wouldn't be interested. I, I, you know, I really, I have no idea, but I was riveted. And I've always had a thing about the water anyway. And this just solidified it. This movie scared the shit out of me. And to this day, I don't do open bodies of water. I swim in the ocean. Um, Yeah, I it it really had a serious effect. Even like a lake where there would be no sharks. Well, that's the funny thing, and I know I've told this. Well, you know what? I'm first boobies in a in a a commentary monthly Monday, or maybe the first boobies in any of the movies we've done i uh i'm actually sitting here in a pitch dark room watching this on the high def screen on my computer and uh wow she never looked more awesome than she does right now (laughs) the naked girl at the beginning of josh well the thing is to see this movie was filmed this sequence rather was filmed in broad daylight yes and it was darkened afterwards and i've I've heard somewhere it's probably on one of the commentaries or something how Spielberg was watching these dailies with like a room full of, of suits. And they were all looking at like the shot where it comes up on her from underwater. And, you know, it's like this total beaver shot. And they're like, what the hell kind of movie are you making here? Uh-huh. You know, cause you can't tell it in the finished movie. Like right here, the sequence we're watching you. Can't, no, she's buck naked. She is completely nude. And in a minute when it, it has the shark zeroing in on her legs, I mean, if you turn, if you crank the con, you know, the lightness way up. I mean, don't think I haven't a total beaver shot. I mean, totally awesome. Anyway, what the hell was I talking about? As See, I, I was, it was you're seeing it in the movie theater with your folks. So yeah. Um. So the I, I know I've told this story before. The very next weekend after seeing this movie. At the drive-in. Oh, I hear where this is going. <laughs> we went to Lake Bonaparte, where my uncle had a cabin you know, where we would go and stay. And we, we it was right by the lake where we would swim and everything. Dude, you, you couldn't have picked me up and thrown me in the damn water. There's just no way. you know. And it didn't make any difference to my seven-year-old mind that this was a fresh water body, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a lake. I didn't <laughs> All I right. knew was that. It was over my head, and I had seen Jaws, and I wasn't going to get eaten, and and that was that. 
Well, then years later, this was the summer before I ended up moving to Georgia. So this was the summer of 93. Randy and I actually drove down to Jersey. He had been living in Jersey for a time. He was living with a girlfriend of his down there, and then they had a nasty breakup, and he ended up moving back to New York, back to the Black River area. Well, we went back down there one weekend for something. I can't remember what it was now, but we went down there. I think we were job hunting or something. And we went down there together, and I'd never been there before. And he was showing me around, showing me the sights and everything, and there was this really nice boardwalk area that we went to that was like, you know, like your 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 stereotypical like oceanside boardwalk area, you know, with like, you know, ring toss and whack-a-mole and right. you know, ski ball and all that shit. And it was right on the beach of the the Atlantic Ocean. I can't remember what the town was, but it wasn't Atlantic City, but it was something like that, you know, something near Atlantic City. Ocean City? Something like that, yeah. And we were there really late at night one night and hanging out and, you know, hitting on girls and all that sort of thing. And I remember we had a lot to drink. And he was like, hey, let's go down to the beach. So we went down to the beach and just hanging out. And I had never really been to the Atlantic Ocean in that area of the U.S. before. You know, I'd been to the, the ocean, you know, when we lived in Florida, you know, when I was a kid, but never like, you know, to like the, the, the you know, from New Jersey, you know, looking out at the other, and, you know, here it is at night and everything. And strangely, I started to get this very like Jaws vibe off of it and everything. And then somebody proposed the idea. And here it is literally the middle of the night, just like in the beginning of this film, proposed the idea, hey, let's go swimming. I'm like, hell no. And they all started ripping on me, making fun of me. And it's like, what? You know, you're, what are you afraid of sharks? And I'm like, <laughs> As a matter of fact, yeah, I kind of am, you know, I kind of get this thing about the water, you know. And so they were all ripping on me, making fun of everything. The very next day, the local paper had an article in there. It was just one of those like local interest, hey, did you know kind of articles that there had been a shark attack right along that very stretch of beach back in, I'm pretty sure they said the year was 1912. And the only reason that sticks in my memory is that's the same year that the Titanic sunk, that they had had a great white attack that was the inspiration for the book Jaws that became the movie Jaws, right where we had been that night before. So I, I felt very justified. You probably weren't very far away from where they filmed Jaws either. Well, the the from my understanding, most of this movie was actually filmed at, uh, what is it? Um, uh, California somewhere probably. Oh, Martha, Martha's Vineyard. Oh, okay. But I think this area is supposed to be right about that area. It's it's supposed to be like where the rich people from New York City go to summer. Yeah, like Hampton. What is it? The Hamptons. Like the Hamptons yeah. or, yeah. 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 But anyway, that's my origin story for Jaws. I, I've been hooked ever since. I don't know. You know, you, normally when, a, when something would really traumatize me, I would stay so far away from it, you know. But for some reason, this is one of those like... You know, you, it's like the car crash. You know, you, you don't want to look, but you can't look away, you know? Mm -hmm. That's this a... scene was very intense. Okay, so I'll, I'll work all this into my origin story. Is, is when Jaws came out, a, a, a lot of our listeners aren't old enough to remember when Jaws came out. This was pre-Star Wars by two years. 
you know, pre the Spielberg. This is a movie that really like busted Spielberg mm-hmm. into the blockbuster land. And this movie was just a sensation. I mean, everybody was talking about how this was the scariest thing. The term blockbuster didn't really exist before Jaws. Jaws created the summer blockbuster. And and Jaws had, you know, so, like I remember as a little kid, you know, the legends of Jaws, of the kids who saw Jaws would be like, oh my God, this is the scariest movie ever, you know, and you'd hear the music and see the ads and hear the reviews. And it was... and. It's funny, I remember going to the grocery store and seeing, like, um, um, a gumball machine, you know, with Jaws stick. I don't know if it was stickers or, you know, some sort of little Jaws. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I saw, like, something from a movie, you know, instead of, like, a little plastic giga or something in the in the vending machines. Right. So they, they you know, this, the, I mean, this movie was just everywhere. And, and the, the, you know, the, the picture of the shark coming up out of the water was everywhere. It was, it was like Star Wars before Star Wars. It was this huge phenomena thing. Absolutely. And so the reputation preceded it. My parents were not going to let me see Jaws no matter what. They were not going to, it was rated R. They, they, you know, I might have been able to talk my father into it, but this is 75, you know. Maybe around 79, 80, my dad would take me to R-rated movies. Is this or, rated R? I think so. It might be PG. It was, well, whatever it was, it was way, you know. Remember, okay, it was rated PG, but at the end, this was the first time I heard this, too. Nice spinner rack in the background of the <laughs> of the general store. The seeds, though, wasn't it? Oh, well, yeah, uh, well. <laughs> I was looking to see if it was comics, but I think it was actually like Seeds or something. See, uh, I like all this dialogue in this opener because this was one of the first movies I can remember where the dialogue felt very real, where you had more more than one Spielberg person trademark. talking at the same time and stuff yeah, like that. You know, he and got little, that from Robert Altman. Yeah. And... uh and he, it, it really captures the feel of the, the of a small town like this. The rooms in it, the light in it. You know, look at the light in here. It's just it's everywhere. It's sunlight. Mm-hmm. It's very bright and summery. It just it, it looks apart. And yeah, when movies movies didn't weren't were more artificial than this. Spielberg was the guy who sort of brought realism. Realism. To it. Well, anyway, rated PG, and they would say at the end of the movie, rated PG. But then they would say maybe too intense for younger children. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that disclaimer on a movie. So they're saying, yeah, this is rated PG, but don't, you know, but it's really, really scary. And it wasn't like exploitation style novelty. They really meant it because it was scaring the hell. There were a lot of people. It was like The Exorcist. When The Exorcist came out, my aunt was heard her daughter snoring in the night and thought she was getting possessed by the devil. You know, she was so scared by that movie. And this movie kept droves of people out of the water for decades. And uh, so, you know, the hype to it was unbelievable. So I was dying to see it. So I did what the nerd does when they can't see a movie. I found I found the book, the Peter Benchley book, because I also noticed that he wrote the screenplay to this. So I thought, okay, there'll be. And the book was also a huge sensation. It was a big bestseller. And I remember I got it out of the library at at um at school and and read it and you know it had blood and sex the the, the scene where uh, the deputy had discovered the body was very graphic and intense you know it was very similar 
to how it is. I'll, this this movie is very similar to the book. It's not as bloody and gory as the book, of course, as as usual. But I read that book like five times. I I loved it. I became a big Peter Benchley fan after that. It wasn't until it came on HBO that I actually got to see it at my grandfather's, of course, where I always got to see stuff on <laughs> HBO. And by that time, I knew the story. So. It didn't scare me as much. The stuff that scared me in the movie were the jump shocks. There's a couple good jump scares in here that that got me, you know, the first time watching it. But I loved it. I was just like, it was one of the few times where I'd read a book and wasn't disappointed by the movie. Every time, this part right here, I don't mean to interrupt you. But see the fat woman walking by right there? Uh-huh. Every time I'd ever watched this movie with my dad, and my dad loved this movie too, and would watch it over and over. Every single time he'd he'd make some remark about, you know, the meal, the shark was going to have a real meal with her, or so, something yeah. to that effect. You know, well, that should fill her up, or something like that. <laughs> Which is rude, but it's funny, you know. And uh, I'll be noting differences in the movie and the book as it as it goes along that I can I haven't read the book in many many years but it's one of those things that's burned into my memory right. probably much as this movie is cuz it was it was pretty traumatic you know the, the couple the, of the, the book quick things that occurred to me is that much like how I recently read something about uh you know John Byrne saying how now these days he regrets that he ever you know, wrote Man of Steel and and had his run on Superman and all that, and and it just broke my heart. Like seriously, dude, that that's you know that was some of the most awesome comics ever, and you you wish you hadn't done it now. I feel the same way about how Benchley, you know, would later you know be very public about you know he wish he'd never written Jaws because you know the effect it's had on you know how man treats sharks, and and I'm like, really. You know, that's that's man's problem and not right, not Jaws's problem. I mean, you know, that people can't, you know, separate this from reality. I mean, yes, it is a skillful movie and makes it seem seem realistic, but uh, you know, but there's in the book there's a lot of stuff that's written from the shark's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um. You know that when when the shark is out s- swimming at people, you 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 see it in the book from the shark's point of view, and it isn't. You know the shark isn't present presented as much. You know as the movies go on, the shark is presented more as a malevolent, intelligent entity. And this one, it's just sort of a shark doing its thing, and uh, you know it just happens to be a, a you know a more aggressive shark, but it's. You know, there's they they give it a measure of intelligence, but it's not as much as say like Moby Dick, you know, where it's like a metaphor for this. It's a pretty straight up, just visceral chase thing. Hey, more boobs! <laughs> oh, gross! <laughs> Some bad hat, Harry. Every kid had hair like that in 1975. I, I had know. hair like yeah, that me in too. Me too. The Luke Skywalker. I'm trying to identify. I think that's a can of Sprite and a can of Tab in the background there. Now, what do they call this effect? Because I love this effect. Is it what is it? It's the zoom in, pull back. Is that what it's called? It's it's a it's a zoom in at the same time that you're pulling the camera back. 
it's amazing. I love, and we haven't seen it yet in the point. No, but, crap, but when, uh, when that happens, every time, because I know a lot of people would watch this scene for the the shot of the shark. Actually, like it looks like it flips over. Actually, it looks like it yes. bites him and then does a flip. I like Which is that. What sharks do? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. But the shot that always impressed me was was Brody's reaction because he's actually watching this happen. God, that's just. That's brutal. That you, that right there was probably actually the scene, more than the girl at the right there. I love that, more than the girl being eaten. I think yes, it was it, the kid because I was probably about the same age. The same age, kid. yeah. And it, and it was just like, you don't often see gallons of kid blood come bubbling up. Either that's out the, of the thing. Water. Yeah, it's, it's that it's a child, and you don't usually see, you know you wouldn't see that in movies, especially from this era. You know that it was. I think that just adds to the horror of the moment that it, it wasn't, you know, an adult. It was a just an innocent child. And, and it's all this horror happening in, in beautiful sunlight on a beach with people, be, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that that that's the the pull in zoom out thing has been abused since then. Yes. You know, yes, as the moment agree. of realization for people or when they're realizing something intense is happening well the music in that part really adds to it too but i'm, I'm gonna hold off my comments on the music because there's a there's a a moment in this movie that i think is the perfect illustration of how music makes a scene or makes a movie but i'll, I'll wait and point it out when it comes up here now i i want to know i would love to know you know what it was like to to live the rest of his life because I'm pretty sure this guy's dead now that plays the mayor in this. I could be wrong about that, but I think he's passed away now. What would it be like to to be remembered as this for the rest of your life? You know, I mean, he does such a great job, and you just hate him. You just hate him. You know, what There's would so it be like to be hated for a, a a role that you did so well? You know, for the rest of your life. To be, oh, he's that asshole from Jaws, you know? Yeah, once again, it's their fault for not <laughs> separating movie from reality. But, well, I mean, the guy looks, he's got the look of the kind oh, of guys yeah. who go into politics. He's got the big head and the hair and all that. So he was just, he was typecast as the, the slimy politician and every and yep. everything. He looked the part. He looks like a cheap. He does. Well, like any any politician in any town, it's like I think people that look like that, for some reason, people like to vote for people like that. For some reason, all those cheesy visual cues of like having a bigger head than most people and having the weird <laughs> hair, I really do. I think that makes people think that looks like a, a politician or, a, you know, a president or a leader type. And that's why those people like end up in in politics as they fit the the visual cue of it you know you get your occasional like mutants that don't look at like your newt gingriches who's you're like how the hell All did right. this guy become a politician i'm not talking politics on this one i'm not i'm just saying newt gingrich you are is a you're funny looking start. guy he's a funny looking guy but he doesn't look like that you know bill clinton looked like that ronald yeah. reagan looked like that um all, you know, almost all of them, you know, almost everybody who's like volleying for president in any election. Oh, I, just, I love this. 
here's at least this guy got the reputation of being an awesome asshole, you know, for for the rest of his career. <laughs> so many people are just love that that scene there. See, now I realize he had a long, distinguished career well before Jaws, but being the age I was, this is this was my first exposure to him. So going backwards and finding out that he's the same guy that Bond fights in the train in, um, what was that, From Russia With from Love? From Russia With Love. I was Wait, like, oh, shit. I think, <laughs> that's like the, I think that's the first James Bond movie. Second. Second, Dr. No, Dr. right, no was, was the, the first, first one, one yeah. right. But he's just so great in this. Oh, he's just, he's got a mouthful of, of apple as he's talking. It's just. He's another one that I've heard that he, he regretted having done this. He didn't, didn't want to do it and was like, I guess he was a real asshole. Cause I've heard a lot of interviews with uh, Roy Scheider and, uh, and Richard Dreyfuss both where they didn't really have nice things to say about. Um, it happens. What's his name? Shaw, Robert Shaw, Robert Shaw. Well, it could be that he just got into asshole character. He was maybe he was a method actor and just yeah. was like, you know, like the guy who played Jim Morrison. What I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but you know, he went on a drinking binge for six months before he right he shot that movie and, and acted oh, like uh, a Val complete Kilmer? prick. Val Val Kilmer. There were all sorts of news stories about Val Kilmer being in bars, being a drunken prick to everybody, and it's like. Then later on, you realized, oh yeah, he was just warming up to be Jim Morrison. According to Dreyfus, a lot of the the stuff you see in the actual finished movie of uh, Quint really riding um, Hooper's ass, that it's... continued off off camera sure. too. Sure. Oh know, yeah, method would... acting, man. Yeah. Method acting. He was staying in character, which if you're an asshole character, can be Scoot really annoying. <laughs> You didn't catch that, did you? No. The dog right there, I said, skirt wraps. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the now, same El dog, doesn't it? Ellen, Bro yes. <laughs> Ellen Brody in the book was played off as being, like, really hot, and I remember as a kid I was like, oh, she's old, and now I'm back to, like, nope, actually she's she is yeah. the MILF as portrayed Isn't in the movie. Isn't that scary? Yeah, it's called getting old. Now she's now I, I'm sure we're older than the actress. I, we probably we're probably like around the same age as Roy Scheider. Yeah, in this in this movie. <sighs> but look, I mean the the I, I, I love the way Spielberg sets this up. I mean the 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 way this scene, the way the their house looks, it just looks like a real. It doesn't look like a set. It looks like a lived in. Yep. Uh, he you was, know. was excellent at that. I, I think never more so than uh, the Neary household in Close Encounters. Yes. That was a real house full of kids. It was chaos. Yep. And, yeah. and it was – and the, and he got like – when you have a house with that many kids in it, it's like there's a line on the wall that goes up that's untouched and everything my below always, it is like My mother always liked this scene. My mom always liked that scene where, she, where the mother looks in the book and then... Because <laughs> that's very realistic, too. Yes. I like that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. This is the scene I was talking about. Watch this scene sometime with the sound turned off. 
to get a feel for what it would be like if there was no music in this scene. And except for the fact that it is very nicely filmed and, and beautifully choreographed, the scene packs absolutely no punch because you don't see a shark. There's no gore. There's no blood. It is entirely, entirely John Williams moment of the movie because John Williams is the shark right the music is the shark the music the music's a shark in most of this most of this movie but especially this scene and i i I make a point of saying it with this scene because again there's no death there's there's you know you never see the shark there there's no real uh horror or even threat to that scene but the music makes that one of my favorite moments of the movie because the the part that works best for me is you see the shark take the chain out and the the pier rips off and the music starts to recede into the distance. And then slowly the, the, the pier turns, you know, the ripped off part of the pier turns and the music comes back in volume. And that's when it goes into the full jaws, you know, the dun, 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 dun. And that's where the threat comes from. Without that music, it's just a pure going out and a pure coming back. There's there's no punch to it at all. As beautifully as it's filmed, it's the music that sells that scene. Well, I think isn't this like this is like the second movie that Williams and Spielberg worked together on, right? Well, the first one was um, Sugarland Express. Sugarland Express. Yes. And uh, so. I think by this time, you know, probably after Sugarland Express, they were starting to realize that they had a good working relationship. Well, this and is this just cemented it. This was one of the first movies also where the music did become a star. See right here. Listen how the music it fades out. And it's like it's going away. And this guy, I'm, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to swim back. And then right. Dun, 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 and it's going to start building again. Hear it. The volume just came totally back. I love that. The volume was swelling in exact proportion to the size of the pier. Yes. In yes. The, on the screen. But see, there's nothing in the visual to scare you. There's right. no shark fin. There's no blood. Nobody gets bitten or eaten. There's nothing. It's the music that scares the shit out of you in this scene. I mean, that's power. That's the power of a, of a of an awesome composer. It's beautiful. I just that to me is one of the best scenes in the entire movie. And there's not nothing horror about it. You know, there's the you know what I mean. It's a suspense. I guess guy. I he looks like he looks like. <laughs> remember those faces that people used to have on their walls? Yes, yes. And you'd pull their tie, and they'd go and spit on you. They'd spit a little water on you. That's what he looks like. Or he looked like Elder Popeye. Is what he looked. Like. <laughs> I am what I am. <laughs> Eat your spinach, you brat. <laughs> What's squinky eye? <on? laughs> it's Ben Gardner. No relation. A little feller. <laughs> Ladies and you gentlemen, see, if you ever want to know what Chris Honeywell is like in real life, here you go, right here. Matt, Matt Hooper? Hooper. He I'm, I am... So, uh, totally reminds me of you. It's scary. I am not um, 
That does not offend me at all. He kind of looks like me, actually, if I he grow does. a beard there. He's dressing like me, too. Maybe, I, didn't, uh, I didn't mean that as a dig. You have always reminded me of Hooper. For I think that's one of the... When I when when we first started becoming friends, I think this is one of the reasons I liked you so much is because you reminded me of Hooper from this movie, and I always liked him in this movie. You totally do, and you, you grew up to look a hell of a lot like him. Well, a difference from the book in the Down movie Down to the is, tube, too. Right down to the the constant wearing of a hat, yeah. Except he's got so he's got a nice full head of hair, at least at this point in his life. Yeah, <laughs> but so did I probably at that point at that age when I was that age. <sighs> but um, in the in the book, Hooper's character was a lot more serious than he he wasn't the. In the book, actually, <laughs> Hooper was a romantic foil to uh, Brody. He Hooper had had a affair with his wife in the past. Yes. When he was married to, to Brody, and it starts to heat up a little bit when he comes back, so there's some tension between him and Brody that's not in the movie at all. And the and main Hooper is thing I remember from the book. The number one thing that I always remember first when I recollect on the book is the scene where he's uh, he's afraid that if he has an accident right now, that he'll be found dead with a boner with Brody's wife. Do you remember that? They're in a car. yes. And and he's having this like sex fantasy about Brody's wife, and then he he thinks you know how awful you know if I died right now this is how they would find me or something to that effect, and it was just reading that as a as a pubescent kid that has always stuck with me. Like, like, oh, yeah. This is a racy book. And uh, yeah, he was a more serious character, and Spielberg put a lot more humor into this than the than was in the book. He he had the book was a serious gritty book. I like this guy. <laughs> you goddamn fool! You it reminds me of my grandfather. Uh, this is uh, this has also become a classic in the modern is the redneck hunt. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it, it, like oh, in yeah. zombie movies and stuff, where all the rednecks say, go out right to, out of dawn of the dead. Yes, exactly. I love this guy. Boom. We used to do That's, that. Well, we used to do that. We used to do that from uh, on snowmobiles. We used to throw M80s at, M80s, at yeah. each other as we were riding snowmobiles. Okay, I love this scene. There have been a million parodies of this sequence yes. over the years, but I think the best one I've ever seen was in the very first issue of Man-Eating Cow. And that story was called This Was Not a Boat Accident. And they go through this exact scene, except the part at the end when um, when um, Hooper goes, this wasn't any coral reef or any boat propeller. Or, you know, this was a this was a shark. Instead of saying this was a shark, he goes, this was a cow. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely hysterical. And it wasn't Jack the Ripper. It was a cow. <laughs> if you want to read just a hysterical comic sometime, read Man-Eating Cow. It was, it was hilarious. Do not smoke in here. Mmm, yummy. This scene was so insanely gross at the time, and now it's like there's TV crime shows that are like... Walking Deads, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got... You got I watched one the other day where they, they ran over a human head. I was one like, of those uh, like to to CSI shows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I saw a CSI show where they, they had somebody squashed between two of those, like, giant metal containers. Uh-huh. It was, like, nasty. Oh, I love this part. It was a, it was a cow. <laughs> <laughs> Is that There's real? A thing? arrow in it. <laughs> it looks like a real... It sure it looks like a real look shark. Real. Yeah. It probably is a real. They probably caught a. Sh they might have, but I. You, can you imagine that today? They'd have PETA and everybody else to, up there. Well, there's people who catch. I think there's people. I think they people who catch sharks to make shark fin soup out of them. So it, it might have been. I don't know. Spielberg seems to me the kind of guy who probably wouldn't would have. Well, there's actual like laws <laughs> governing all this that they probably had to. You know the thing about the thing about a shark is it's not a fish it's it's a mammal but it's it's a fish to people you what? know they don't sharks are a uh, fish you're thinking of a whale dude I'm thinking whales uh, anyway but the, you know people they don't it's not like a puppy <laughs> you know <laughs> most people aren't like well these days there would definitely be some people who are just like hey, maybe I got a shark. milk bone <laughs> I love how he's just watching it going you idiots. Yep. <laughs> That suit, man. It's this. This is one of those great things where you're like, "Well, that can't be the shark because we're only, you know, thirty minutes <laughs> right. in the movie." <laughs> oh, the movie's done. It's, yeah, it's all just it's all just a drama after this. What? He's got kind of a wussy voice for such a big guy. Yeah, that ever his he's got the perfect mayor snazzy suit on too. Hi, glad handing everybody. Yep. <laughs> the pink shirt underneath. It's total summer. He just totally blows Hooper off too. Dismisses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like this scene. Who's that guy in the right that looks like like Jesus or something back there? I just caught caught a glimpse of him. The guy is hanging out behind Hooper. Yeah, he's, he's got the natural like look, but from the seven <laughs> ah, the seventies, they all had that natural Charles Manson look on them, you know? Yeah, right. Jesus, Charles Manson, they all looked the same in the seventies. <laughs> couldn't tell which one someone was emulating. <laughs> I like how the mayor is just going, I'm not hearing. Look at those blinks. That's right. great great acting. Great acting. Not saying a word. Just blink, 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 blink. He's going. Wind's blowing in his face. He's going, I believe it, but I ain't going to accept it. You right. know, you can see a million little tiny emotions playing on his face here. It's just really good acting. Scuzzy little smile that he does. Yeah. Little insincere but, smile. It's a smile, but then it's turning into this, into the like. I always like that where you look after saying that little Kintner boy, and then he looks up and she's. That's just, oh, what a moment! What a moment! I saw a great interview with this lady once that said that for the rest of her life, all she's done is slap people because every time she meets somebody, they're like, could you slap me? Like, in can you imagine how freaky that would be? She could probably get good money to pay, slap people like that 
I was surprised to see she's, uh, of course, the interview I saw could be 20 years old at this point. But I was, even at that time, I was kind of surprised she was still out. She looks old in this movie, I thought. But the last, uh, like, cast, when was that? It was the 25th anniversary, so that would have been, what, that would have been 2000. She was still alive as of 2000. She could be in her 40s here. She could just be one of those skinny ladies who has has a sort of older face. Yeah. Then again, Roy Scheider was still alive as of 2000 as well. He's, yeah. he's dead now, unfortunately. You know, that that's was the other thing I was going to comment on is, you know, there's a good number of movies that I've, I've become a huge fan of over the years where there's a, you know, a, a leading man or, or, you know, characters, actors, where I'm like, I'm really... Uh, you know, they're very endearing in whatever role it is, but then I never really cared for them in anything else. Roy Scheider is definitely one of those guys. It's, it's like, I, it's not that I dislike him. It's like, I, I love his character so much in this and in this, the first sequel. But then beyond that, I can't really ever think of another Roy Scheider movie I ever really liked him all that much in. You know there what I mean? There were a couple good cop movies that he did that I can't remember off the top of my head, but this was definitely his standout role of oh, his absolutely, career for absolutely. sure yeah but, you know he he, he kind of reminds me of uh of george siegel or seagal however you pronounce it in roller coaster which is another one you know i mean mm-hmm. i love that movie i love the role he plays in it never really can recall another george seagal movie that i thought oh he was in a lot of movies and he was in a, yes. yeah i know that's the thing i know he was in a million movies but it was just one of those things where i just i was never as um I'm trying to think of what the word is. Is it endeared, inured, whatever? I love the scene where the yeah, kid's just it's, copying his dad. Blump. Oh, this That's is so quintessential Spielberg. Yep, yeah, quintessential Spielberg. Absolutely. The way he's got her positioned in the background with the cup of coffee. I uh, believe me. I, I I don't want to go off on a tangent. I do not want to talk about the the sequels, especially the shit sequels. But that was the number one thing beyond the presence of um, of Michael Caine in the fourth movie that irritated the hell out of me is they had the audacity to pull this scene out and use that in that movie. And it's like, it was totally... This actual scene? Yeah, it was the moment where they were like, hey, remember how awesome the first movie was? And it was like, seriously? You're, you, I can't believe you're doing this. Yeah, they did. They, they pulled this higher scene what? out as a flashback. Is her like remembering her husband yep. uh, a sweet moment yeah. with her husband and child and stuff? I, I, well, Mike Mike ended up being like, a, is that Mike in there? Um, that, no, Michael's the older boy. The older boy, but yeah, because Michael ended up being in in the the other movies. That too, was Sean, but. I think. I think that's his name, Sean and Michael. Is that right? The only reason I can keep the older boy straight is there's the scene where the little one's sitting on the beach and he's yelling, Michael, get out of the water. I think that scene already went by actually, but he's saying, Michael, get out of the water. I always remember that part, but I'm trying to remember the younger one's name. And I think it's Sean. <laughs> I always like study everything in the background in Spielberg's movie over his left shoulder. That's a quilt hanger. That usually would go at the end. See that little cross thing? Yeah. On his left shoulder? That's for hanging quilts on. I got one of them out in my garage. It would, it's supposed to go at the end of your bed, though. For We've got one. Um, just just quickly, I, just out of pure curiosity, what do you like the second movie? 
I like the, I I like the second movie. It's okay. It's pointless to me. You right, know why? Right. It, it wasn't pointless at the time because they were like, we got to make some more money off it. Right. And I remember when it came out, I read the, I read the book, which wasn't written by Peter Benchley. I think it was written by Hank Searle. If, you if could I recall be, right, could be right, yeah, and uh, and being disappointed in the book because it wasn't as well written, you know, it was written by you know a for hire type of guy, and it was just a, an adaptation. But I remember when the movie came out, everybody was like, "Oh, did they really have to do this?" And then they were like, "You know what? This is really actually a good movie." You know, they're like, "It's not as good as Jaws, but it does," you know. It does deliver the the scares, and I remember seeing it and going, "Eh, you know, it's basically a director copying Spielberg and aping this movie, you know, right. sort of." And uh, I I like that one. I actually like it quite a bit. But the the one thing is, uh, I, I wish to God they could have got uh, uh, Dreyfus. For the second one, because the the dynamic between these two guys is just great. They 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 are so natural together in this movie. Yes. But he yes. was he was busy. He was working. They, I guess they actually did want him too, but he was busy. He was working on uh, on Close Encounters at the time. Hey, but, if I had to choose between a sequel and Jaws and working with Spielberg again, yeah, oh, going. definitely. I, I have a lot of trouble deciding which is my favorite uh, Dreyfus role because you know, when I'm watching this one, it's this one. But then I'll watch every Close time Encounters. you say Dreyfus, I think Dreyfus from the <laughs> from <Pink laughs> Panther. Panther movies, yeah. But uh, you know, if I'm watching Close Encounters, then I like him better in Close. So I, I constantly flip flop back and forth. But he's he's phenomenal. I don't know. There's a lot of really great Dreyfus performances out there. The Goodbye Girl is a great movie, too. I have it. Oh, my God. I forgot all about that movie. That's a very funny movie. That's a Neil Simon. So that's, I believe that's a Neil Simon. And I, that's, I think you're right. And uh, and uh, Dreyfus is a perfect person Um to play in a Neil Simon because he's great at delivering snappy dialogue yeah. naturally and quickly. You know, he's got that he's got that wit about him. You know, he used to. He's kind of like got a precociousness that was like um, a toned down Robin Williams. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, not you know not on ten like you know like this this scene was hilarious. This scene is just hilarious. This is like. This is this is you know Spielberg adding adding you know dollops of humor to the book and I think you know I think it actually you know made the movie an improvement on the book which is a rare thing for Oh is this not in like the book? That. Oh I I I think this is in the book but it's not played as comedically. Oh, I mean I this is you. a total yeah. this is a total clown car scene, you know, of just like what you know? What's gonna come out? What's gonna come out of here next? You know. And things like that, though. I don't. Tin cans and so I don't see sharks. Here. That's like a billy goat or something. But uh. I mean, you know, just the way the I way just drive. Schneider's line didn't need a car, did he? <laughs> I just love that line.
That's it. No kids. Yeah. <laughs> no kid parts. See, they don't. I mean, it's a humorous scene, but yeah, they're digging for kid parts, you know. Right. That's that's pretty horrifying. To think that you might reach in there and pull out like a foot from a little kid or something would be pretty. Right. Pretty awful. But this scene was it's 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 total humor. I think I think a lot of the humor evolved in this from probably the cast, probably from having Richard Dreyfuss there. And Spielberg is notorious as an actor's director too, so he probably let people improvise and and tweak and come up with stuff too. This is just a, this is a very was a very nicely lit scene too. Not this one, but the you know the last one in the barn. Yeah, very subtly lit. To, yeah, that's what I like about Spielberg is he's very good about lighting things, so that they appear natural. I was noticing this last month when we watched Raiders. When I watched it in the movie theater, the lighting always felt very natural. When I was watching it now, I'm like, oh, I could see like how a lot of it was sort of studio lighting, or you know. A little kind of artificial looking, but you know that's only after years and years and years of watching it, and probably from not watching it on a huge screen either. But he he's always able to make it look like natural light, while still utilizing all the advantages of having a very um, hey, I got a planned out lighting lit scene. You know, I'm just yes. I'm realizing as I'm yes. watching this how widescreen this movie really is yes it's how the hell did they millimeter. Pro- yeah how did they project these back in the day because the the black river driving screen was not this shape it was basically uh well what would happen is it, it was like um it was like um letterboxing except it just would naturally letterbox itself you know, you so would it just literally just it. went off the edges of the screen. No, 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 no. You would, uh, you would take. Uh, what I would imagine they would do is they would take the image, and then they would, you know, before you focus it, you can like s- make it bigger or smaller. And I think they would probably just shrink it down till the edges hit the edge of the screen. And when you watch it in the movie theater. You know, the top and the bottom of the screen are black because there's nothing hitting them, but you don't really notice it. Right, you but know? you would notice that at the drive-in, though. You would notice if vast, you know, a vast border you'd be, of... You'd be surprised if that, that border might just sort of disappear once your eyes start adjusting to it. Or they had uh, 30... I don't know if they... I don't know if they would make just a regular 35 millimeter aspect ratio... For all these because man it would be complicated especially with a movie like this to because it's composed for this although you can see, if you watch it right now like see here you can mm-hmm. cut each end of the screen off when you look at this maybe that's what they did because see how it's composed you could cut a good you know 10 or 15 percent off either side of that screen and almost yeah. any shot and i was looking at anything i was noticing that that's kind of what what actually inspired me to ask the question is that even though this is widescreen and really taking advantage of that widescreen format, this is still not one of those movies. I don't. I don't think they'd really developed the kind of movies yet where something was happening at the extreme right and the extreme left to where you couldn't really well, pan and scan it successfully. Back in the day, they used to do that. That was like yeah, seventy millimeter used to be like, and then they had like CinemaScope that was right. even 
wider. But they moved away with from that with the advent of television, of and it was yeah. it was quite a while before that kind of came back into vogue again. Yes, right. Well, you know, because the first the first time, and I, I'm sure that this wasn't the first time ever it was done, but the first time I can ever notice, you know, remember n consciously noting it was in Star Trek Three, right at the end of the movie when Spock comes back. You got Kirk on one side and Spock at the other, and they were at extremes. And when that movie was pan and scanned, right, they literally had that. to scan across. The I always loved the underwater lighting in this part. I thought this was really cool. I always thought that looked really neat. Ooh, is that pixelated, though? <laughs> as soon as he went underwater, my, my screen got all pixelated looking. You know why? Because of the... Uh the way that the when they compress these movies it takes yeah say you have blue in it and it says okay instead of having 5000 pixels of blue i'll make one big chunk of blue so yep. when you have stuff like this with big solid colors it tends to do good now here here comes of course one of the famous jump shocks of all time and this got me this got me on hbo this mm -hmm. had me right up out of my right jumping right out of my pants and it's gory as hell for its day. Yeah, and that was that was also a detail. And that's in the, Ben Gardner. The that's worms. the guy who was that he met when he uh, when he got to Amity. When he when got he was, off the boat. Yeah, when he got off the boat. Although I always wonder, like. It's another one of those famous scenes. Look at the anchors on his suit. It's the same suit he had on, or same suit Cody had on earlier. Does he ever he's change his got, clothes or what? I was going to say he's probably got five. No, he's probably, that's probably his going out. It's probably like in those little towns, you know, you're the mayor. You wear a costume, you know. He's in his mayor <laughs> costume. He's got a different, he doesn't have a pink shirt on underneath. This time he's got a blue shirt on. But still, I just love the looks on his face. He's just like, ah, Jesus Christ, I don't want to hear this. I'm not hearing this. Mm-hmm. But at the, t at the same time, it's registering with him. He's actually, like, making calculations in his head of, like, well, I wonder what the risks are of, you know, kicking everybody out of the water and losing money for a summer, you know? All that was also gone into, all the politics of the town were also gone into, of course, more in the book. I have to read the book again. This this book and Carrie were two of the books that I read at a real young age that just really made a big impression on me. This I think this made a bigger impression on me than I ever realized as a kid because to this very day, I have so short a fuse with people like this you know people that there there's an obvious situation staring them right in the face and and yep, uh, yeah and as you say that they come up to the painting <laughs> you know with the shark fin painted on it exactly it's it's slapping him right in the face this reminds me of like every shitty manager i ever had you know yeah that Let's focus on the piddly ass problem and let's ignore the giant problem, 
you know, let let's let's ignore the big picture problem. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Let's hope the bit they're just hoping the big picture problem solves itself. Yeah. Let's you let's know. run around and put out fires instead of you know dealing with with this giant issue that you know everything else is stemming from. I, oh, it drives me nuts. He's good. I mean, he's really good in this movie because he makes you just absolutely <laughs> want to punch him in the his, face. Yeah, yeah. which is his job. You know, I mean that it, it, he actually is doing a really good job. But it's just. I don't know. I, I don't. I, I you know, acting's got to be a tough gig, and I don't. I just don't know that I could ever do that. Could I ever? You know, you could be an actor. Oh, I, I'm sure <laughs> I could be an, could actor, be an actor, actor, but I mean, would, would is this the role you'd want to be remembered for? You know what I mean? If, I gotta tell you, if I was, well, I I personally don't. I think you know. I think I'm a limited actor. You know, I don't know what your actual. I don't know if you could be an award-winning actor, but I think everybody can act, to some to some level. But the hev- the parts of the heavies Dude, and the parts of the bad America, guys are a lot of the best death, roles. You ha- and you function out in public, and you have, you know, your your own feelings and your own opinions on things. Yet you have to go outside your door and function in our politically correct bullshit society every day then you are an actor and everybody's doing it everybody's an actor yeah, yeah. everybody uh, you know that's that's the shakespeare lot you know the old you know um is it everybody's an actor and all the world's a stage or, mm-hmm. or, or or all the world's a stage and we are but players or whatever it's true everybody's acting almost all the time in different yep. ways yep. and uh, if you've ever had to to bite your tongue and smile and, and nod politely as opposed to really speaking your mind about what you've thought or felt in a given situation, you know, then, then you're an actor in my opinion. Because Well, I mean, any time where you have to work in public service, <laughs> where you're, where you're, where you're limited in how you can reply to people, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you got, you got to act in that. I mean, sure. you, I mean, you, you, you're a cast member. <laughs> you 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 are you are an actor. You are a cast member. I would love to play that video game. I would love to see that killer shark game somewhere. <laughs> That's looks so cool. Um you'll notice none of them are actually actually video games yet. No, it's the old school. It's the old school light up mechanical, you know, Rube Goldberg type mm-hmm. deal. But I don't know as an like whenever I've done stage plays and stuff i don't want to be the i I don't want to be the lead character i want to be i would want to be the character here's steven spielberg what a nerd that's not spielberg that's uh peter benchley is that peter benchley that's peter benchley you're talking about the newscaster right yes yeah that's that's peter benchley he's a little miscast his voice isn't a newscaster voice but that's funny that they put him in there for some reason i've always <laughs> thought that was spielberg but anyway i always want to play the bad jacket. guy or the comedy relief or the you know the goofy character Ooh, those are always cute there's a lot of cute cute ladies walking around the beach in in amity that guy looks like uh um wc wimpy. fields oh, yeah, wc wimpy. fields and wimpy from the popeye movie mixed together yeah I just ate a hamburger. 
Look at his hair. <laughs> I know. I'm telling you, it's genetic. That's why we choose those people to be politicians. I love that he has to tell, he's like, come on, get in the water. That's so, that's like just evil. It's evil. Mm. And like, I can imagine, and like when this movie was in the theater, people must have just been going, yeah. It's scared to death. Look at yeah, it. exactly. But it's funny. He's like, look at him go like lemmings. <laughs> he's, he's such a good. scumbag. Yeah, he's just good. Here comes the money. Now they're all in the water. It's kind of dangerous to be flying one of those little single prop, or one of those little you know two seater helicopters like over people like that. If it came down, it would be a worse disaster than the shark <laughs> at least the shark can only eat one or two people at a time that helicopter would take out a lot of people there's something about this movie you can just you can smell the beach you can smell the hot oh, dog yeah. stand in the background and and it's weird because there's been lots of movies filmed on locations like this I love seeing all the old coke machines and stuff from she that coke machine too. yeah that Coke machine reminds me of the drive-in theater of the concession. You know what it reminds me of? Every theater. time I see something like that in, in a movie like this, it reminds me of my, my grandparents. My mom's folks had that old hot dog stand out there to uh, Fargo. Uh-huh. And it just breaks oh, really? my heart. Yeah. They had that hot dog stand? Yeah, the one that you know, was you... out there in Fargo where yeah, 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 yeah. David lived. Yeah, yeah my uh, our neighbors, the Wimmers, bought that. Oh really? Eventually, yeah. They it, it it was a, they ran it as a little hot dog stand, and the and the father had a little bar there, and it was Paul's Pub. Huh. And during the day, the 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 wife and the daughter would work there selling ice cream and hot dogs and hamburgers, and yeah, he he had a little bar at night at that that place. I used to have to go pile wood there. That's that's funny. <laughs> I was gonna say small world, but we're from the same town, so it's not that. This is true. There's there's another uh, beaver shot for you. Oh yeah. I love all the kids in the background, just like yo yo. Well, I want, that's one of the things that's always cracked me up about the movie is that you know you know I I know that they had to give you a sense of you know being underwater and and the threat and all that, but. You know, all these people are swimming so far over their head, you know? Do people really do that? Do they go, really go that far out and, and swim over their head like that? Yeah, probably. Well, it's probably like, you know, like on lakes where, you know, you probably have to wa walk quite a ways out before the water starts getting deep. You know, you probably walk and it's up to your knees, it's up to your knees, and then all of a sudden it starts going, getting deeper. So by the time you're out swimming over your head, you're 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 a, a ways out there. See how, see how you can sort of see when they show show the ocean. You can see the the beach extend into the water a certain. When have you ever? <laughs> Dude, put the mouse back in the house. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I, I never caught that before. You can see right up that dude's shorts. That was standing on the lifeguard stand. Oh, I, I, I did that. not need to see that. <laughs> Put the mouse back in the house. <laughs> ah, ah, 
See, that would be me in a disaster situation. I'd be just be the person that would run around with their arms in the air, screaming and flailing, just to freak everybody else out. <laughs> well, by the time you get into the water here, where it's up to your ankles, you don't have to run anymore. You really don't, because the shark isn't gonna be in ankle deep water. But um, it might be an ankle biter. <laughs> I forgot what I. I my... I'm sorry. That's okay. You, you, you totally flummoxed me with the put the mouse back in the house. Oh, have you ever flown along the East Coast? Yes. And and like where you can see the coast and you look down uh-huh. and you can see like the beach go into the water and then all of a sudden you see like a cliff go down. <laughs> that would have been me and you. <laughs> These kids are damn lucky they didn't get shot. That I I know, but that would have been you and me. We would have been like, let's make a shark fin. Oh, my God, it'll be hilarious. They're actually really lucky they didn't get shot. Cause it, is it this one? or No, I think it's the next one where he has the the poison-tipped bullets. It yes. shoots the, the school of of blue fins or whatever they have, blue gills or whatever the hell they are. Remember? I think that's yeah. the next movie, though. I like that, the stone girl. It's in the pond, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I love that. I love the, the, the one kid just, that's total Spielberg, too. He had that kid and just let him play there. Yep. It's Brody's kid. It's the, it's the little one. This was. This <laughs> he is... reminds me of Mr. Layman. <laughs> oh my God, he does. Except, yeah, except picture baldness. One of the guys in Firesign Theater is what? an exact replica of Mr. Layman. Oh, what a wonderful shot. What? And that the way the that oh, leg blood. sort of bobbed oh, and hit when it it had a real feel of that's just an awesome, awesome shot too. Which one? Like past from the shark's the fin yeah. that goes right past the kid. It's just like, oh, I'm fed. <laughs> I'll be back for you later. <laughs> Anybody have a gun? <laughs> I like how That's... and I like that shot they made sure to show you that both his legs were there oh yeah I, I, didn't, I never even put that together it was totally they showed him only, only like the top part of his torso so you're thinking the worst <laughs> oh I feel bad for the little I wonder if somebody just like slapped him just before they rolled the camera or something, you know, I always wonder about that. How do you make, you know, I, uh, I, I was at a like this scene. I always like scenes like this where you see the hero get the resolve, you know, I'm going to get you, you son of a bitch, you know, and that's exactly the type of thing that's going on here. Yeah. I'm going to, I've got to put a stop. I love that, you know? Whether it's you know it's it's Superman or you know here with Brody, I just I love that that type of 
seen in a movie, you know, where if, if it's directed well, when it, you, you can see this is the moment where the story changes. You know, this is the moment where the where the hero, you know, decides, all right, this is where I, he's I know like, what the, to do, you know, the mayor, mayor cannot. Yeah, he's like the mayor cannot after this, you know, there's 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 no more stalling, you I'm know. There's, yeah, I'm standing up. Yeah, he's he's done with it. He's over. He is. <laughs> He's giving the Kirk I have had enough of you to the shark and to the mayor at this yep, point, you know. Exactly. I like that. Hey, you know, that the reminded the the little kid crying reminded me of uh, we were doing a film shoot with Pisspot the Rabbit, where Pisspot was supposed to be getting cancer surgery and was there with the little kid, and you know, the little kid was going to be like, "Please don't die, Mister Pisspot," you know, and. And we wanted tears in her eyes. This was like a kid that was just, you know, we had to feed her lines and have her regurgitate them. And he's smoking in the hospital. I, he's smoking everywhere in this. He's just lighting up. Every, that's back in the 75. People did light up everywhere. I remember people. I remember people sitting in the waiting room of the hospital with ashtrays, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Ashtrays everywhere. You could walk through stores smoking, and you, people would just put the cigarettes out on the floor, and it was like standard operating procedure. But you know, Mister Asshole himself, our our good buddy and your former roommate and mine, John Sparacino, was on the film set, and he's just like talking to this little kid. He's just like, "Do you love your mommy?" "Yes." "Well, your mommy's dead." <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> exactly. And. and uh, the little girl looks at him and she goes, no, she's not. <laughs> and he's like, just pretend your mommy's dead and you're never going to see her again. She's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, if John Sparacino can't make a little kid cry, nothing's going to make this little brat cry. <laughs> Sounds like Pete. Quint reminds me a little of Randy in some ways. I don't know what it is. Not the voice or anything. Maybe it's just like the the curly. Maybe it's just that round face and that sort of like that sort of sarcastic grin. Randy would get that too. That. <laughs> it's weird. He he won't swallow until the chief. There's some tradition, I guess, maybe with him of like. I love that right into the. Into the lamp. Look, the food labels haven't changed much over the years. I was just noticing on the on the window behind him there. Yeah, yeah, no. Campbell's soup is pretty much Campbell's soup. I want to live in a place like this. Something like this is my ideal house. To be honest with you, I would love to live in an old barn like Quint, you know, and just have a little crappy, you know, sink where I can boil my bones and. I'm talking about sharking. <laughs> I'm going to remember that. <laughs> the next time we're in a show, you assholes go and go off on some crazy tangent again and distract me. I'm just going to bring it all back by going, I'm talking about sharking. I'm going to sit with a chalkboard right by my microphone and just go, <laughs> You all know me. You know how I earn a living. <laughs> Talking about sharking. 
you see though hanging out with my dad i used to meet characters like this like quint you know there were well, there that's real the people thing in like this. that that's that's the thing i meant to say earlier in this movie is that maybe that's one of the reasons that uh, that i always felt like i identified with this movie is that you know, granted, this was further north than where we lived, but we, yeah, the the townspeople that make up this town are very much like the people that were, you know, the 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 city fathers and the townsfolk of, of town. where we lived. You know, where and, we. And grew he's up. a local. He's a local. He's there all year, living in his little shack, making right. money, catching fish. You know, doing. He's not doing. He's not dependent on the tourists. He's li- You know, he's probably lived here for generations. You know, the Quints are probably a big Irish family, and you know, he's probably got lots of brothers and stuff. And they've been here since they settled here. You know, when right. the town started. Well, plus, and so he looks at everybody else with disdain. You know, right. basically, Brody's just this this little pussy who wrangles the the obnoxious, wimpy tourists. Well, plus, you know, I always identified with with Brody. I think because it's established very quickly right at the beginning of the movie that that Brody's new in town he's not accepted by the islanders because he's not an islander you know he comes to them from New York this is his first summer on the island yeah, wasn't he a cop i think yeah was he was it? a cop in New York City you know and he moved there to i don't know to get away from it all or something i don't know i don't know that they ever explained why he's I, I, there i think i think it was very similar to the carpinetti family down the street from yeah. us i think it was like he had, you know, he had a long and brutal history in New York City, and Ellen was like, "Look, why don't you, you know, we're getting kids. Why don't you have get something a little more uh, domestic, you know, right. so you're not gonna get a bullet in your head." And of course, uh, <laughs> he won't get a bullet in his head, but he could get bitten half by a shark. Right. But I mean, Doesn't that he- that feeling of of you know living in this place. And there's almost like a secret handshake going on and you're never because it, it it's laid right out for Ellen in that one scene. I, I love the scene, the beginning of the scene on the beach just before the kid gets killed. She's asking that that really bitchy woman with the round glasses, the one that's at the town hall meeting. She's asking her, I just want to know, when do I get to be an Islander? And the woman's telling her, you never you never you weren't born here. So you never get to be an Islander that I can remember feeling that way living up there, you know, that you don't really fit in with the, with the people that are up there. You know, it's like you live there, you, you speak the language, but you never really feel like you're a part of their culture if you're not, you know, into hunting and fishing and, you know, all the, all the stuff that makes up their quaint little life. You know, if, if you've got interests outside of that, then you're not really part of the club. You know, I mean, right. did you feel that way? But in, in like northern New York, yeah. Well, I grew up there. <laughs> I was, you know, I well, that's was actually, true. yeah, you did. I, I, I was actually, but, but at the same time, you know, it, 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 the way you're judged, you know, by like, oh, it's the Honeywell kid, or, or you know, or, or oh, you know, I mean, there's there were definite family names in, uh, in um, our area. I mean, Gardner was a big fan. Gardner Cross. Um, were were two of the names were two like big names that were on, weren't on the infamous list, but then you had like Percy Passage, Camage, you know where a lot right. Stanoski, where there were a lot of people with that name and they were all branded by that name. I love the like, symbolism right there. 
Yeah. That's just a beautiful shot. That all, This also reminds me of Sweet Haven. In yeah, the, uh, very much so. And I love, and I remember when I first saw this, I I was so surprised by the jaunty, happy music. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there's there's a lot of very very playful, f you know, fun, you know, where it just says, "Hey, don't worry," you know, <laughs> nothing's going wrong yet. And this is a you know, Chum is sort of like in people's vocabulary now. This is a movie that did it. <laughs> Everybody knows what Chum is from this movie. And uh, the book also took joyous, you know, pleasure in, in uh, describing the idea of Chum and how horrible it smelled. <laughs> There's something different. Yeah, that, that's uh, exactly what I was going to say. There's something you don't see. Maybe the same label. And... And now all our bottles have that little, little, you know, like sort of um, dip in on the. There's a lot of shots in this movie of people copying each other. I noticed <laughs> just now. <laughs> the 70s was the age of the wise ass character. Oh, yeah. You know? It was the, the, the. He's, he's just one of the classic, you know, smart ass. <laughs> and you can also hear a couple beers in Quint's voice now. Oh, I yeah. love it. <laughs> I'm talking about shocking. But if Roy Scheider, you know, Roy Scheider not liking, you know, the actor, it helps in the performance, you know. And, right. Yeah, and and um, what, what was his name again? Robert Shaw. Shaw, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw is probably like, I ain't here to make friends. I'm here to make a movie. <laughs> I'm here for a, a paycheck. I'm talking about shocking. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of what year One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest came out, but there's a couple shots coming coming up in this. I like this. In this sequence that are. I like it. It is just his eyes. Yeah. It's great. Just his eyes catching that little tick of the. Of the. He's uh, still he's still eating, but he's keeping his eye on it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're seeing it. You're an expert at work. You're, he's he's a, he's all business now. No wise crap. I love that. Let me just strap myself in here. Now what would happen if that shark took off with that thing and yanked him and the chair and everything right on out of there? Because he actually straps himself to the fishing pole. That's insane. Insane, yeah, but... That is nuts. He's insane. And also, as we'll see in the future, he's kind of underestimating the shark right now. Oh, absolutely. He he doesn't know the full strength and size of nature of this shark yet. So this is a great scene to... There's a lot of scenes on this boat to illustrate, you know, how Roy Scheider's new to aquatic, the life aquatic. Right.
it's such a temptation just to watch this movie. Oh, I know. That's the thing. I, I find myself getting sucked in because I was actually watching this during dinner today, but I didn't make it near this far. This was a part. This was like you see. Actually, when uh, I was sort of reviewing this to go to go over this in the movie, I love that shot of Hooper. The lighting and it's just beautiful back there when it was sort of above him and it was just sort of his head and shoulders in the water. You know what just occurred to me? Maybe this is blasphemous to even think about such things, but with that shot of the of the prow coming right at you like that, this is a movie that I wonder how it would look in three D. You know what I mean? Because it's actually, you know, it, it, Very, it's got a lot of de- Yeah, you could do a lot with it. It yeah. would, uh, it would suck in every underwater scene because those are just too dark. Yeah, for, this is true. But yeah. there's a lot of really well lit stuff in here. I mean, just this shot here, you could put those wire like three. You have three layers of wires behind him. Yeah, you right. Could, you could. I have a feeling if we wait long enough and it gets, you know, once they have. You know, all the people who are doing the post 3D, the more they do it, the faster they're going to do it, and the more they're going to tweak the technology. I have a feeling you're going to see it a lot more. Maybe not in movie theaters, but being able to get a DVD where you'll have a post 3D version of it, you know. Right. If, if, they, if they can sell the idea of 3D TVs, especially if it, all of a sudden every TV has 3D technology, you know, they're always constantly got to find a way to sell you the same movie, you know, for the fifth or sixth time. Now, there's another uh, example of, uh, you know, of a movie that that I love and I've seen a million times, but there's a line I don't know what the hell he just said. He says, you may be, may be a big Yahoo in the lab, but out here you're just, and I didn't catch, do you, what the hell does he say? What is that I word? I don't know. It sounds like he says super coggin, but it doesn't make any sense. What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, it might be some Irish yeah, that's true. saying. I don't know. I've never heard that, though. I used to work at an Irish pub. <laughs> See, I love I love movies where, you know, a lot of these the, the charm of the sequence is just seeing how the ship works and you know right you got to put water on that when the line keeps going too fast you got to put water on it so it doesn't heat up too much it's just right they that doesn't get done enough these days you know they would be under constant attack these days i like that line yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, although I never buy when people stick do that little stick the tongue out thing, I I just never bought that as a real thing adults do. <laughs> I do that all the time. Really? <laughs> Some stupid ass will say something ignorant, and I'll I'll do that behind their back. I probably learned it from this movie. <laughs> I just flip them off. <laughs> I do that too. Now I also think. There was a subplot in the book where Roy Scheider, or Roy Scheider, where Brody was quitting smoking. And now he's smoking again. I, I, I was thinking about here. that before, but I, I'm not sure because that, that was a subplot of so many movies of this era. Because I yes. know that Harry was all through Roller Coaster. Harry was, was fighting the urge to start smoking again. And, and, and Kojak, I think Kojak was the beginning of that. I His think that's why he, he sucked had... lollipops, right? Right, he sucked lollipops because he, he used to be a chain smoker. Right, so but he I think that was smoking, sort of. And 20 years later, he doesn't have any teeth left. I think maybe there was, That's you know, one of those things 
where they put a memo out to Hollywood and say, hey, we're trying to get people to smoke less, you know. All right, so we were talking in um, our Raiders commentary how they should go back and CGI in um, Jawas and Rontos into the the yes. Tunis uh, scene there. What, where, where, and what would you CGI into this one? Um. Oh, I know what you big CGI in. Gooberfish. Yeah, you have the have the shark coming to eat Sh- uh, Roy Scheider right near the end of the movie, and all of a sudden, like that big dinosaur thing comes out and eats the shark. And yeah, and quick goes. It's always a bigger oh, fish. A bigger fish. <laughs> And, and you know it's funny when in the I I uh, after we did our uh, that scene was another big that I was another love, one that had me off the seat yeah. even I, on HBO I, I love the look on his face action his how how fast his head comes up like that it's and, awesome. and and the and the cigarette is gripped in his mouth yep and now he's looking at Quint going shit <laughs> it's just a great great scene. But uh, it's funny, when you were talking about not knowing the lines, I, I watched the uh, Jamie Benning Raiders filmumentary, and they had the scene where um, 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 what's-his-name, uh, Belloc call, says, Indiana, you know? Right. And then I realized what I always thought that he said in that was, in the end. Yeah. In the end. In the end. And I yes. are... Uh, yeah, I thought and so, now, too. You know, I, it, it occurs to me that I think... Uh, that uh jamie needs to start uh paying us a dividend every time you mention his name in a show because i think you said it about 20 times in the raiders <laughs> i just posted all i just posted all three of his star wars movies in the uh hey when i see something good that's a labor of love i'm gonna be all over it and and i love it i love his stuff his stuff is i mean it's addictive. He's doing stuff that's like I can't wait till his jaws, jaws documentary yeah, is I made. Yeah, it's gonna be. I, I'm actually looking forward to it than any more than any of the others because I've not really seen much, you know, as much, you know, stuff just besides the movie, you know, about it. And there it, is and I'm no way forward. in hell I would ever do that. What? Walk along the walk along outside the of the of ship a... while that shark's cruising around right there where they can see it? Hell no. <laughs> you know what occurs to me is uh, I don't think that there was ever a comic book adaptation for Jaws. No, you're right. I mean, I know there wasn't one back in the day, at least to my recollection anyway, but I'm kind of surprised that even all it these... It sure papers... doesn't make sense that there isn't one because, yeah. oh my, I mean... I, I just found a bunch of my old treasury editions, and one of them was 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. So they were, you know, in Planet of the Apes. Close, when, encounters, when a movie was a, Close encounters got one. Right, but that was after that was after 77, you know, when it was right. like a guaranteed right guaranteed did, thing. Didn't but, Jaws 2 get one? I think it did. I could I, be wrong, but I thought don't Jaws don't remember 2 got an adaptation. I don't think I ever owned it, but I thought it had one. But I'm surprised that the uh, that this one never got one. I also like how sometimes the boat looks bigger and sometimes it looks smaller. Sometimes it looks like a tiny boat. Sometimes it looks like a bigger boat, depending on what angle mm-hmm. you see it from. On the inside, it also is kind of has a TARDIS effect where it looks bigger. <laughs> now you can really hear the 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 brewskis in his voice. <laughs> Hooper! Your turn, Quinn. Hooper, where are you? 
It's a good scene. It's a good music. You know, uh, speaking of music, it was occurring to me earlier today. I think this is the scene. I could be wrong. But remember uh, at the end of Battle in Outer Space Wars, we had a little flourish. Yes. That would end the show from Jaws. And that was from the original album. And I know that... Uh, you know, a while back you uh, you did that um, vinyl rip from Star Wars because I've yes. got a copy. I've got two copies. I've got one I downloaded and then one that you had done. I've also got a vinyl rip of the original Empire album and Jedi album. I'd like to have a rip of the original Jaws album because a lot of the stuff that was on that album was actually concert versions, not movie versions of some of those I tracks. May I may have that on vinyl. I'll have to Yeah. I'll have to dig around, but I have a feeling I might have that on vinyl. If I do, I'll I'll definitely do that. I love see, doing this, that. This is that part because I I can hear it in my head. I can remember how that track goes and it it's almost exactly the, what's in the, the movie. Yeah, that's here. a beautiful shot right there. But it ends with that like concert flourish at the end of it, not where it just ended right here. So they are actually two dissimilar tracks because it's kind of like the forest battle from Return of the Jedi. It's going along yes. pretty much with the movie on the album. And then all of a sudden it goes off to a concert ending. It's the same thing. That looked like it was on a stage right there, didn't it? It almost looks like a little green screenshot, but it probably isn't. It's probably just a really unreal natural lighting. Nice natural lighting. I love the feeling. I love the way you have... It captures a feeling of being in a lit boat with on the water at night. There's something about being on the in a boat on the water at night like this. My grandparents used to have a sailing boat and sometimes they would take it and anchor it and we'd stay out overnight. I love that. And I, I've known lots of people who like to do that too, take out their fake tooth and or like Pete Hesh and like flip out their dentures. This is also a, a such an iconic scene where oh, yeah. Spielberg edition of uh I, I seem to recall somebody saying that this scene might have been improvised, might have been, you know, something the actors developed, you know, where they're like, we do a Because you could obviously it wasn't something they pulled out of pulled out of their asses because unless Richard Dreyfus really has a big, ugly scar up his arm. <laughs> does he? I don't, I don't think know. So, does he? I don't think so either. It, that looked like a makeup scar, you know, but. <laughs> it is a but quiz. Quintessential scene, though. You know, Spielberg. I mean, it gets acted out. I've, I've, I've acted this scene out where somebody, you know, somebody's just like, "Oh, where'd you get that scar on your face?" And somebody will tell the story, and then all of a sudden, somebody's like, "Oh yeah, that's nothing." Check oh, this has been. This is one of those scenes that's, you know, been. Oh, I think been it was on, so many times because well, I, no, I think in real life it was going on. Even I, I think this is just something Spielberg. You know, it's a, it's just a classic pissing contest. And it's funny because, you know, and, and it's a great, like, guy dynamic going on here where you have basically Quint's been picking on Hooper from the very beginning. Right. But now Hooper's proven himself, and now Quint's actually embraced 
and now that he's getting drunk, he's embracing Hooper a little more because Hooper's proved himself. But he still hasn't lost his distaste for it. He's just covering it up to tantalize Brody. So now Brody's standing there going, like, you see, now now they're both mocking me. You know, not directly, but they're, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, now they're all drunk enough that they're all bonding. He's got an infectious laugh. Now, I like this, the, the story of the Indianapolis. That's... Uh, that's cool. I can remember hearing stories about people that were actually there and how this moment of the movie really affected them because they said that, you know, he, he acted it perfectly, that it was really what it was like. I thought it was a little bit strange that... that um, Hooper would actually know what that is. Uh huh. I th I think this is a really well acted scene, though. He not only knows what it is, but he knows the gra You can see the yeah, like yeah complete change come yeah. over him. It would be like somebody making a making a you know reference or something, and then you know like an off color remark or something, and then somebody you know points out, well, you know, I was actually on the Titanic type of thing, right. you know, something like that. That's 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 the impact of the scene. But I just I wonder. Well, let me see. This was seventy five. How old would you say Hooper is right here? Um, mid twenties. Yes, 25, 26. So, yeah, probably. see, the math doesn't really, unless he's some sort of like, you know, just beyond just being interested in sharks and marine life, he's actually, you know, up on his, you know, nautical history or what. It just seems a little weird and implausible. Well, he, very well, he might have a, well, he might have a college degree in it. He, he actually has that. He's probably took a course in nautical history. Right. It's a nitpick, though. I mean, it does. It's not something that like takes me out of the movie. I actually like that part. I like. No, how I actually he, like it. Yeah, yeah, I like how he suddenly, you know, it, it changes Sobers the entire up. mood of the room. Oh yeah, look, they're 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 sober now. Yeah. Or you know, sobered up. They're they're not they're not wiggling around or anything. They're it's. <laughs> and then at the end. He said, Tell him large Mars. <laughs> <laughs> And there was a sound like a garbage truck dropped off the Empire State Building. <laughs> That's what that would we be do that movie someday. We should we should react this scene sometime where halfway through the story you ramble and you end up with the conclusion to the large Marge story. That would be funny as hell. <laughs> Start out telling this the Indianapolis story and wind up with the large Marge story. I would like that. <laughs> it would be even better if you can make your eyeballs bulge out of your head too for just for good measure <laughs> and when I saw the shark he looked just like this <laughs> I saw that that's, that scene always stands out for me because I saw that movie in a packed movie theater in Watertown and I was the only person laughing my laughing during that scene. I was laughing my ass off at the scene, and I noticed that everybody in the theater was turned around and looked at me, and, I, and I'm just like, 
what you guys don't think Dude, this is funny <laughs> that's a movie that we we could stand yeah. to cover at some point that was a movie that i am so glad has finally come around to be a cult classic because it was totally unappreciated at the time that it was out at, I saw, at like, least in the circles i saw it in because i remember the first time i saw that movie i was turned on to it by someone who was like You've got to watch this. This is the stupidest shit I've ever seen. And I watched it and was like, this movie's freaking genius, you know? Yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. Well, I had seen the HBO special of the stage play before, so that's how I got hooked into it. When they made it into a movie, I was like, oh, my God. they're Because remember, I had Hugo, Man of a Thousand Faces. And right. I bought him because he was in that original. He was um, Mr. Mambo, I think, um, Pee-wee's Hypnotism Doll. And yeah, and I I mean, I don't know the the movie got lukewarm reviews, but I remember when I went to see it with it was like with a bunch of my, my sister and a bunch of her friends and the movie theater was packed and people were leaving and just stone silent and you could hear people going you know, through, <laughs> through the whole thing. They were just hating it and I was like, what are you people blind, deaf and dumb? This is like one of the most amazing, you know, and that was when the whole Tim Burton style was new, so it was actually very, you know, unpredictable and You realize we're talking about Pee-wee's Big Adventure <laughs> during the Jaws commentary, though, right? That's 100% too true freak. Yeah, this is true. Uh, okay, so they're obviously on a stage with a with a blue screen in those windows. That's obviously you think so? blue screen. For, oh, yeah, that's blue screened for sure. But if you look at the beers and their drinks, they're still rocking that set. You can see them. Uh, that flashing light underwater is so creepy and awesome looking. What the hell were they eating? It looks like fucking shit on a shingle. It looks like school <laughs> lunch style. It's a plate full of diarrhea or something there, yeah. I like how Quinn's the one that notices. It's his ship? Yeah. So they're on the Millennium Falcon right now, you know. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Totally. It reminds me of uh, I forget what. This is the Millennium Falcon. This is like the, oh, very the ship so. version of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. I just realized that. Yeah. You see, this is one thing I don't buy. A shark, for one, sharks move in one direction. They don't back up and ram things. Sharks move forward, and that's it. They have to keep moving forward. Maybe they, he's they, like nearsighted or something. Uh, that's like something I'm trying to remember what the name of that that shark was in the cartoons. You remember? Sharktopus. Not Sharktopus, but it was something Jabberjaws. like Jabberjaws. Jabberjaws. It's like Jabberjaw, <laughs> like knocking on the side of the, you know. Say, <laughs> so is it Jabberjaw? That's more appropriate than Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, there's... Oh, well, I guess there's a swimming pool in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, so I guess that it, that's... <laughs> close enough. This looks like another day-for-night shot. See, there he right, is again. Day... I don't, there's no way! I don't I don't quite buy that, that he would do that. Do you? Oh, I... I, I well, yeah, I do, but I don't have the fear of... Like, you, you have the you have the visceral fear of the water and, and stuff. But so does he. Oh, so there's a 100% Spielberg yeah. right there. Yeah. I think that was a real shooting star, too, because... You think so? There's another uh, one here in a moment, I believe. Is there? I think so. I could be wrong. Yeah, there... But, no, it, no there it is, it. yeah. Could be. 
awesome. Yeah, it's. I mean, it just feels like morning. The light here feels like morning light. Uh, they must have been. Quick, hand me the hydro spanner. Just, just from all this great natural lighting, it says to me that this must have been <laughs> hell for them waiting for the right days and the right weather. That wasn't. I've never read Last something hit us. I've never read like the making of Jaws book, the Carl Gottlieb. I know I've had Jaws that book, book for over ten years and have never read it. It probably would be a good thing to read before Jamie Benning's movie comes out. Yeah. You know, it probably add a lot of detail <laughs> to it. But you know, I mean, one thing no, that we I haven't gonna, addressed is I was going to write to you and and before we got started and see if you wanted to set up a drinking game for Jaws, but I couldn't think of like what would be the code word or what you know what would we say to where you had to take your and now all right for the next one it's, it's going to be Jamie Benning. <laughs> oh, he would be. He, we got to tell him that he's now a drinking game. But, uh, you know, this was like one of the most this was like one of the most just nightmarish productions ever oh, for yeah. Spielberg. You know, it's legendary. You know, the shark didn't work, which actually, you know, it's it's also a legendary story of you see here, you know, the thing where you're like, I don't get it, where he's running over that thing. And look at these guys just hanging off the side of the boat. It, nobody would do that. Ow. But at the same time, you know, that's also Spielberg pushing your buttons. You know, yep. you going, oh, I wouldn't do that. That's what Spielberg wants people to do at that at that scene. And I like how Quint isn't really like, he isn't flustered by the shark jumping up at all. He's just like, oh. You, he's uh, re realizing the gravity of the situation, but he's not like. You've never seen uh, Finding Nemo, have you? No, I haven't. There's a great moment in that where uh, I love that. Where uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what this. the hell character it is. Is it Nemo or is it no? It's not Nemo. It's his father comes face to face with a great white, and you can tell he's just sitting there shaking because he's just just this little teeny tiny clownfish, right? And you know he's face to face with this this great white, and the great white's like, "Hello." My name's Bruce. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a total homage to, to this shark, to, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. I love that. I always but felt God's... bad for Steve, uh, Steven Spielberg because, you know, one of his idols, of course, was um, was Alfred Hitchcock. I love this music, too. Oh, yeah. And he, uh, right after this came out and was such a big hit and everything, he was on set where Hitchcock was filming something or other. And, uh, you know, he kind of felt like now, you know, maybe he, you know, I guess was a big enough deal to where he could actually get to meet, you know, one of his idols or what. And, uh, and Hitchcock basically had him removed. Yep. Oh, I, I can totally see that. Yeah. Hitchcock was a notorious control freak. Yeah. Hitchcock. Pretty messed Hitchcock up. Though. was. Well, Hitch, there's a reason for that. There, I mean, Hitchcock had a vision, and he worked in that studio system. In his first couple movies, he would have. It was just like Orson Welles. Orson Welles did similar tactics, except he was more. Orson Welles was a like drunk, so. <laughs> Orson Welles would go on binges and stuff and didn't get as much, you know, wasn't as productive as Hitchcock. 
Hitchcock, but Hitchcock planned his movies down to such a detail and like to the point of where if you, you were an editor and you had a, you know, when, when, when you took the film, the Hitchcock's movies, putting them together, editing wasn't a process like with Steven Spielberg where things could change. It was just putting it together like a storyboard, you know. You would just say, okay, here's this shot. This shot goes after this shot. He had it edited right beforehand because he didn't want anybody messing with his stuff. And yeah, he didn't want anybody on the, he didn't want anybody on the set. Not really to distract, probably more to not to distract him than the actors because he was notoriously. That's a good Hitchcock's notoriously unlike Spielberg, where Spielberg likes improvisation and Spielberg knows how to work actors. Hitchcock never knew how to work actors. He would get really good actors in order to let them do all the. It's sort of like Lucas, except he would get better actors, you know, where the actors were just a prop for him. They had to be in the right place, and if they said the right words, they're fine. How they said the words, that was their job, you know, to figure out. And uh, I could see him kicking Spielberg off and being like, eh. <laughs> I imagine he probably really liked Spielberg's films, but they were definitely dissimilar personalities, you know. Oh, yeah. Hitchcock, Hitchcock is I always like that. uptight. I don't know why I always like that, but I always like that with them bobbing like pistons back and forth like yes. that. I always thought that was cool. Well, you start getting the idea of the strength of this thing as these barrels filled with air. If you've ever tried to hold something even small filled with air submerged in water, and you see something like these barrels, and you see the shark just pulling them underwater, it's just... It's just an ingenious way to illustrate how strong the shark is without oh, yeah. actually showing the shark. Right. And I mean... Well, th this is, you know, a, a perfect example of... That's another... I think we say perfect example a lot, too, the both of us. That could yeah. probably be another drinking cue. <laughs> this is one of the... Ah! Another, He's another... lucky he can pull that enough to free yes. him and it doesn't yes. just take his Sever legs his off. legs off. Well, that's another another just, you know, rookie mistake by Brody, mm -hmm. you know. Yep. But this is a a perfect example of old skill or old, old school rather filmmaking that I just I don't think it would work as good these days where I, I was just watching something honestly not long ago that was showing how Spielberg went through hell simply with keeping the horizon clear during this part of the movie where he would have to wait sometimes hours for, for like boats on the distance by. to get the hell off you know out of the the shot so that he could get the shot that he wanted. You know, today he even said himself, "Today you could just CGI it out." Yeah. You know, true, but would you lose anything in that? You know, in that transition. And uh, I, I still maintain to this day, if the shark had worked, this would the, the, the movie. It, it would not be the movie it is. It, it you know, it, it may have not suffered. working made it hell because Spielberg was probably sitting through this movie going. Shit, this thing is fucked. Whoa. I finally get in my... That's a, 
And when you when you think about that scene, that wasn't CG'd. <laughs> no. That sucker, that su- whatever that was, I'm sure it was they hollowed that thing out as much as they could. But that still probably could have taken his head off. I'm sure they had I'm sure they had it all like wired up and stuff, but that's an amazing, you know, shots like that are taken for granted these days because you can have things CG'd in to where they'll just miss somebody. But you don't get that visceral feel of it of like, whoa, that guy almost got his head taken off. You get more of the feel of, wow, look at that CG go, you know. And I mean, Spielberg must have been just like, you know, losing sleep and getting ulcers and all this. But it it forced him to use the music and the editing Mm -hmm. and the acting to to its advantage. And it's a better picture for it. Yeah, it's a you know, it, it became a fantastic picture. And I, I, I mean, I can only, I can't imagine how, what a, how you maintain your sanity. A, being a big Hollywood director is a special breed. I know I'm not, I, I wouldn't be cut out for do, directing a movie like this. Because it, the first thing when we went to film school is, is our teacher gave us this big coffee table book that was all just black and white portraits was that Chekhov's of, machete back there <laughs> it was it was all just portraits of famous movie directors you know and he's like look at these guys these guys in these pictures yeah they're not that old they're like 40 years old and these people have leather faces and like dead eyes <laughs> because it's just hell the the logistics of doing something like this is is hell when it starts going bad you have so much money riding on it and a studio on your ass and you're thinking, well, if I fuck this up, Steven Spielberg might be back to directing, you know, pick up episodes of TV shows and uh, and all that. And through the probably through the editing pro- process, probably until they screen this sucker, put it in the movie theaters. He probably thought he was getting ready. You know, he was on his way out before he even got in, you know, and then to have it turn into what it turned into must have been such a. You know, I mean, it must have been great. I love that it's shot and the awesome music right shot. there. Yeah. But see, I I he, think and that shark get, looks really real. In that right scene. there, it does. Yeah. But see, I maintain if the shark had worked in this and we got much more than what we already get, I I just I don't think I'm not it saying it wouldn't still be a great movie. It wouldn't have been as realistic. I, I think. I think that would date the movie to a point where it wouldn't it wouldn't be something we'd be talking about almost 40 right. years later because I was watching an episode of the 6 million dollar man the other day where he fought an alligator and that was the fakest rubberiest on, on our, shittiest looking thing you'd ever seen on our Tumblr and, I just posted a GIF of the Hulk throwing a guy in a bear suit that's the same sort of thing see as much as I absolutely love this movie and I, I, I really am pained to say anything bad about it if there's if there are moments of the movie that don't work it, it is the shark you know it's well, you know toward the end of the movie where, where we actually finally get the most footage of the shark that we get in the entire movie those are generally the parts where where you know the the threads are showing you know what i mean yeah. it's like that line you know in, in back to the future 2 where uh you know marty you know gets 
you know, attacked by the holographic shark, and then he says, ah, shark still looks fake. A lot of people have always said that. The shark looks fake in the Jaws movies, and it does because it's a fake shark. So if you got <laughs> more of it, then it would just show that much more. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I hesitate to say divine intervention, but I, I think it was fated that the shark just didn't work most of the time in this movie. You know what I mean? It, it, it just, it's just serendipitous that it, that it didn't work because it made Cooper's it. Cooper's lucky he wasn't electrocuted right there. No, <laughs> He's that... hip deep in water. Yeah. Uh, um... Well, isn't salt water more uh, conductive too? Yes. I'm wrong about that. No, you're absolutely it's... right. Um, but think, you know, that's the heart. That's the thing about movies is that one of the things that I don't think that I would have the stomach for, because I'm a very, I like that. when I say conservative, I mean, like, I'm very, like, I try to use it, you know, I don't like being wasteful with stuff. Think about this movie. They, okay, we need this mechanical shark that operates in salt water, <laughs> corrosive salt water. You got a whole team of people getting together 40 hours a week, probably more like 60 or 70 hours a week, you know, and working round the clock for months before they even start shooting, building the shark, building prototypes, testing it out, and, and you know, renting out the big giant tank to set the shark up in and, you know, spending just... In you know money that like basically would support us for the rest of our lives <laughs> you know you and your family could live for probably like you know 10 or 15 years high on the hog on the money that got spent on that shark and it never got you you know or right it barely got used you know it was a big it was a big failure and you know and it's just money it's money effort and everything tossed out just tossed out the window and that's that's filmmaking right there that's hollywood filmmaking right there it's you know um raiders of the lost ark was uh, you know you you just have crews of people working round the clock for a set you're gonna see for for months for a set or an effect you're gonna see for three seconds you know like you that. could feed you could feed you know half that was a small... beautiful scene transition right there where He's where Hooper snaps at Brody, and then you get that stern look on Brody's face. But he, they're already in the next scene where they're putting the the cage. I, I've always liked that transition because there was a transition of time that you didn't even catch until the the cage pieces came into frame. That's that's just genius. I like that. And and the book really goes into huge details about shark cages and how they work and. And all that, so it was really cool to see it in the movie too. You know, that's like, oh, the shark cage. All these things, you know, shark cages are like. Now we have Shark Week on. We wouldn't have Shark Week if it wasn't for <laughs> this, this movie. This is true. Well, this is the biggest divergence between the the novel and the movie too. Is that Hooper gets et in the novel, whereas he he makes it through the movie, and I. I I have to wonder at the motivation of that. Why? Why change it? Unless maybe you're thinking sequel. I don't. I don't know. Why? Why did he... I think he just? I think he took out. I think the part of Hooper getting killed was tied into the um, hostility between, because 
you know, in this, really, Hooper and, and Brody are, you know, Brody seems to really like Hooper. They like each other, you know. Right. There isn't that in the book. I like that Brody, look that Brody, Quint just gave right there, too, because I, I, I interpret that look as he just earned his respect, you know. Uh-huh. I'm you sorry, got, go ahead. You got bigger balls than me. Yeah, exactly. But in the in the book, I don't know. I don't remember if Brody re- knew that he had had an affair with his wife, but he he knew it on some level or suspected it. And there was a bit of hostility in it. And I'll always remember, you know, there was, you know, the scene in it. And when I read the book, it just had a sentence that said Hooper was dead, period, you know. And I was just like, holy shit, you know, because he was one of my favorite characters in the book. Right. And and the shark comes out of the water with the Hooper's body in his mouth, sort of almost like taunting Brody with it. Brody takes a pot shot and hits Hooper's dead body in the neck. <laughs> and, it, and it's just sort of almost a little symbolism of the hostility between Hooper and Brody. And, right. You know, and, and the shark getting rid of him and being like, all right, now it's between me and you sort of thing and I think and and all that had to stem with you know Hooper and Ellen and that got cut out of the movie so I think the and I think Spielberg was probably like didn't want to wanted to you know keep it maybe not as dark you know maybe not have it be as dark as the not it's definitely not as dark a movie I think maybe he thought that would um take a little bit of the tone out of the movie i i i'm perfectly happy with i'm glad hooper lives in the movie i was pissed yeah, off that he died too. in the book <laughs> i want to see him die i remember also having a dream that i was reading jaws the book jaws 3 and it had a scene where where um brody died and it said brody was dead and i was like i can't believe they just killed brody in the jaws 3 book you know <laughs> the uh the scenes of the actual live shark in this, though, never quite work for me because I, I don't mesh. They don't mesh, and I, I think it's very obvious that it's a smaller shark. Mm-hmm. Well, Bruce is really wide. Right. Exactly. You know, he's like he's like the burly man of of sharks. You know, when you see that other shark, it's like a slim. Bruce, you know, since he's a mechanical shark, he also sort of moves in a little more cumbersome way. And when you see the other shark, they're moving more in that fast fish wiggle sort this of way. This shit used to give me nightmares. Oh, my God. Used to scare the hell out of me. Still does, truth be told. I mean, what a what a situation, you know? <laughs> Well, it's stuff like this that when you see the video now, now, now people have learned enough about sharks that people know how sharks react to things enough. So there's it. There's still idiots, but there's lots of idiots that can um, jump <laughs> into a school of sharks and swim around with them, right? And know how to do it without triggering the visual stimuli that make them attack, which. You know, when I remember seeing, you know, it was because of this movie that I was like, what, are they fucking crazy, you know? I always like this part here where he almost gets his brains bashed out by this beam. Jeez. Great sound design, too. Though. Oh, yeah. 
Is this uh, Ben Burt? Uh, I don't work know. on this one. I I don't know either. I tend to think of Ben Burt more as like starting Star out, Wars, like a Luca Lucas yeah. guy. Yeah, me too. But I don't know for sure. I honestly, don't know. Were Spielberg and Lucas buddies at this point. Oh yeah, they were contemporaries. Remember, or, you know they uh, they knew each other from like film from school college? or something, right? I thought so. I didn't know if they went to if they went to it college. Was, it like, was together. Spielberg, Lucas. Um, what's his name? Cop was it Coppola? Well, Coppola is the one who sort of took him all under under his arm. He was sort of like the. I need to know, go back and freeze frame that shot at some time because I I think you could see like me mechanical pieces of the shark uh -huh. down the throat right there, but it was hard to see exactly. Ow! That scene of the shark sort of chewing always looked kind of fake to me. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Right there looks. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you see, only that, see it for those few seconds. Yeah, but. see, that's what I'm saying is if you'd gotten more, then it just looks that much more, you know, it, it, it threatens to to hurt the credibility and, and, and date the movie as, uh, you know. You know, for example, like, uh, you know, as, as great a movie as it is. Oh, that's nasty. As great a movie as it is, you know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. That's a movie where you get to see way too much of the squid and you can right. obviously tell it's just a big freaking rubber squid it's a rubber and it's silly now. And that's what the risk they would have run with this, that if you'd gotten much more that, you know, like right there, for example, when it gets close enough to the camera, you can tell it's not flesh. That it's blood. jaws are like hinged in right. and have a, have a pneumatic thing. See, I, it open. You know, if, if I dare, you know, sound bold enough to, to second guess Steven Spielberg, that scene where the shark just crashed through the window and came right at the camera, I think that goes on just a second too long because it gets just close enough to the camera that you can tell it's not a real shark. Whereas if he'd have cut it just a second sooner, you know, it, it, it adds to that scary, oh my God, the shark's coming at me feel. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's that's being nitpicky because I tell you, on the big screen as a kid in oh, the, the drive-in, I bet bought every second of it, and it scared the piss out of me. Well, you can't say too much for novelty. You can't say too much for when it's the first thing, you know. And Spiel and the reason that fake shark worked is Spielberg's worked his magic all the way up to that point. So by this time, mm -hmm. you bought it so much that. And also, people probably had not seen as much shark footage as we did, so they didn't have as much to oh yeah to compare it with. You know, well they they were still a, a mysterious creature. You know what I mean? They because where you know other than going to the movies and seeing this, where where did you ever see sharks? You know, in like uh, in an encyclopedia or something, or, right? You know, or, or you know, I mean, there were occasional nature documentaries and stuff, but that was something like you'd see on a day in school, right? Or something, you know. I mean, a lot of people just forget that there was a wasn't a time when there was a nature when there were twenty four hour animal documentaries going on, you know. Chunks of meat hanging off its teeth, and that's just <laughs> nasty. The nasty ass white shark. 
You son of a bitch. Boom. <laughs> I love that shit. Oh, that's and, awesome. And, uh, another thing that, that, you know, was has been is the, the catchphrase before blowing him off. Oh, yeah. Which doesn't seem like it, you see it now and are like, oh, catchphrase oh, yeah, before blowing it, him away. But, but this, uh, it was novel and it really yep. felt like. I well, love that they showed that. I love they show that shot because it says, "This shark is dead." <laughs> the shark is. The, it's not. There's not going to be a stupid scene where, it comes back. It's blown right. in pieces. Although, wouldn't you think that now the waters would just be swimming with sharks? That would, uh -huh. or the the blood would just attract him in. But you're not really supposed to think about that. I'm sure. Maybe maybe Bruce ate all the other sharks that were. <laughs> But, um, well, you know, also he delivered it in a very natural way. It wasn't a Schwarzenegger line. You know what I mean? It wasn't, you know, let off some steam, Bennett, you know, some yes. stupid shit like that. It was. No, it was a great grandfather of those. That's why. Right. Yeah. Exactly. They, <laughs> there wasn't anything to top, so you didn't have to go over the top at this point. Right. And I love how the one piece of the, the it's like a wind vane or something sticks up, looks like a whale or a shark tail just sort of in the background. That just that piece of scrap metal over their shoulder. Another thing I debate, debate is that Roy Scheider would be smiling at all right now because Quint was a bastard, but he just saw the guy get... <laughs> Right. No, I don't think he was smiling horribly. at that. He was, you know. I mean, yes, there's the element of being happy to be alive. He's he's overcome his, his fear and, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I like that scene at the end. Although, I would, I would still be scared shitless. It's like, okay, that shark's dead, but uh, let's get out of the area. Yeah. Well, at that point, there's not much else you could do. I like endings like this, too, where they just set the camera down somewhere <laughs> and got, you know, got a nice shot, walked away from it for <laughs> ten minutes. God damn you all to hell! <laughs> oh, sorry, wrong beach. That's what you could CGI into the end of this, is the, the broken Statue of, Liberty, Statue of Liberty standing on the beach at the end of the movie. <laughs> well, I didn't see uh, Ben Burt's name, but, you know, the... Uh, it's very short on the credits in this, you know? I mean, it's it's not like today where, you know... Well, maybe I'm wrong. I thought the movie was about to end. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it will go into the... I don't remember this having a, a whole long list of uh, of credits the way they do these days, where it's like twenty minutes of credits and you give credits. I think maybe like, that. Yeah. yeah, see what I mean? It's it's over already. I think they. Um, yeah, I think maybe the 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 unions and guilds have have maybe oh, gotten yeah. a little bit more uh, more aggressive about making sure that everybody gets credit. There you go. May not be suitable for pre-teenagers, it says. Now, is your showing a little shot of Quint? Yeah. What the hell what is that? What the hell is that? I don't know. 
That wasn't really in the movie. Yeah, we we both had the same the same version, I guess. That's like something somebody stuck at the end. That that's never been on the movie before that I've ever seen. That was weird. Yeah, that was bizarre. Well, that was and I had the of... volume down enough so I didn't hear what he said. I'll have to go back and watch it after we've done we're done doing this show. Well, that was a lot of fun. Yes, I enjoyed the hell out of that. Still a great, great, great movie. Well, now, actually, a month has not passed since the last Commentary <laughs> Monthly Monday, so we have no idea what's coming next. Nope, it's totally up to the listeners. We have a, uh, at the moment, as we record this anyway, we have a three-way tie going on on the forum between, uh, let's see, what was it? it? was Temple of Doom, Alien, what was the, the middle one? Was it Close Encounters? You know, I don't, I, I don't know. Well, you guys can find out for yourselves. Go to our forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. Go to the thread, the uh, commentary thread, and you'll see the uh, current tallies in there. Vote for uh, one of those uh, three movies that are in contention as the the next movie beyond Jaws to be a commentary, and uh, and let us know what your choice is, and that'll be the next one after Jaws. Any one of the three of those is fine with me. I'm I'm not the biggest Alien fan in the world, but it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I could say it's okay. I can I can I can blab my way through Alien for sure. <laughs> I have a feeling I could blab my way through Alien, and you could blab your way through Aliens. Yeah. So definitely. So that 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 might even out. Um, but yeah, definitely as Scott said, go to our forum site because I'm gonna try and make a point of the commentary monthly Mondays to sort of stock the forum with little extras. Like last month, we were talking about the sound design of Raiders of Lost Ark, and we were talking about that record with the the story of Raiders without the the comment commentary. So mm-hmm. I put up a link so that you could download and listen to that, you know, and and hear that. It's got a couple things that aren't in the movie, or different takes of lines and stuff, and just beautiful sound design. And you know, I'll see what I can dig up with Jaws. You know, I'll see if I can find some nice YouTube stuff to go along with it you know or or something i don't know i just want i I just want to sort of jazz it up to to add to the experience of of uh you know watching watching these movies again because it looks like we're going to be doing a lot of like tried and true well-loved movies Mm -hmm. so you know and it's you know we can't shove everything obviously into the the podcast and this, these are also the kind of podcasts that we can't go, well, let's just go back and post and we'll stick a bunch of sound bites in it. You're pretty much <laughs> right. It's pretty much what what we said and, and what we did. So and I also I want to pose a quick question before we go. How many people are watching these along with the movies and how many are just listening to them as a podcast? I'm just curious because I've noticed a lot of people are like, ah, I don't really. Um, well, I haven't talked to anybody who's sat down and watched it with the movie yet everybody just sort of listens to him i'm just curious i don't really care either way how you listen to him as long as you're listening to true freaks i have a feeling that that most people are like us you know they're they're busy or they're on the run and they're listening to their podcasts you know to and from their their drive or their commute to work or at work or hopefully at work you know out on the treadmill or out walking the dog or whatever and you know they're they're not just sitting around 
listening because I hardly ever when I'm when I'm sitting doing something like I'm on the computer or watching TV or what I mean I'm not listening to podcast I'm I'm I listen to well, podcasts that, that, to fill those moments when you know I can't be in front of the TV or the computer you know and if you watch this along with the movie you're sort of stuck listening to it and watching the movie if you're gonna do it so you're sort of right. stuck like you can't like go off and do something else like you do in the podcast right plus I think a lot of the movies that we're doing are movies that also people have burned into their memory too so they can sort of go with the flow with it right but Go to our forum and tell us tell us what you think. A lot of people, um, we've been telling people we have a Gmail address. It's been spammy lately, so the the forum is the best place to contact ca- contact you. If you send us stuff to two true freaks at gmail just have a little patience because we gotta wade through a lot of weird spam in Russian before we find <laughs> your your letter. And also another little bit of homework that I forgot to tell Scott about earlier is. Um, we've been having a little trouble with the Libsyn site, and they're trying to fix it. That has trouble, especially with the Firefox browser, where sometimes you can't see back episodes of a show, mm-hmm. um, especially uh, Tales of the JSA and stuff like that. What I found is if you can't find it on our Libsyn site, all our Two True Freaks shows are, like if you want Tales of the JSA number 5 and you can't find it, go to Google and just put in... Um, you know, tales of the tales of the Justice Society of America number five, and and it'll pop up. You can find the links to Libsyn from that. A lot of uh, uh, a lot of the stuff you do with Mike Bailey, he also posts on Fortress of Baileytude. So a Google search will, will will pick up those shows, sometimes listed otherwhere than Libsyn, or will get you to where it is on Libsyn better than li- the navigation on Libsyn. So. I know it's kind of inconvenient, but if you're jonesing for that episode and you can't see it on the Libsyn site and, you know, just uh, just try that and find it. or, or con- And if you're having trouble, contact us because I'll be working with Libsyn to have that straightened out. And if you're listening three years after this podcast were made, forget I was even talking about it because it's fixed by now. By now, you're probably just receiving the show in your fillings <laughs> once you subscribe. All right, we'll see you next month. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, 
tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of... Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.